That's a good song, isn't it? When in Him I stand, faultless before the throne. Incredible. Well, gang, I'm glad you're here today. I was listening to Robert. I thought he was from Mississippi, didn't you? <laughs> Amen. I, uh, I'm glad you're here. I, uh, before we, we begin, let's pray together. I just feel a sense of uh, uh, maybe a little oppression this morning, and so I know that we've got an enemy, and I just want you guys to pray that God will uh, give us freedom this morning, what we need, understanding. Uh, somehow the preacher will have the ability to communicate, so his mouth hopefully will be clear and your ears clear. Huh? So let's pray. Father, I love you. Um, I love this study. And God, I pray that, Lord, this study will impact our faith family. Not that this is easy stuff, but it's needed stuff. And I pray that specifically for today. As we kind of dig into this storm of apostasy, that God, you'll help me uh, keep my mind focused on the task at hand, that you'll provide the liberty that's needed to communicate, both in the giving and the receiving. Main thing, Father, help us not to play games, cut corners. Help us to shoot it clear and shoot it straight and let it shake out as it will. And then, God, you know my heart that I want this for your glory. And so, God, I surrender myself as best I know how right now to you. And I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's take our Bible. Good crowd for the holiday, by the way. Glad you're here. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Jude, okay? Book of Jude, um, we're going to begin in verse 5. Let me tell you where we're at here, okay? As we begin in verse 5 through really verse 16, we're going to see Jude deal with the challenge of apostasy. Gang, I tried to get all of this in, in one sermon, uh, but Terry Cowell, it was impossible. Go ahead, say it. I know you want to say it. I know I can't. I can't, I can't. I'm going to do it in two weeks. And what we're going to do is over the course of two weeks, we're going to talk about the challenge of apostasy in two sermons, hopefully in bite-sized sermon. But even doing that, gang, this is more of a summary. It's more kind of, of a survey. So you got to keep reading the wonderful letter, okay? We are dealing on the subject of apostasy. If you've not been with us, let me define it quickly. Apostasy is a willful turning away from truth, willfully. Apostates are not dumb. Apostates know just enough knowledge to twist truth, to pervert truth, to turn truth. It's like I sometimes say, I know just enough about computers to get myself in trouble. Well, apostate, Scott said that because he has to clean up my mess. Apostates know just enough of God's truth to take truth 
and pervert God's truth to justify their life, their lifestyle, and to take God's faith family, if they could, and twist the church to support their way of thinking. Now, let me tell you what I did. As I began to look at verse 5 through verse 16, I saw a twofold attack against the church. That's why it's going to be in two parts, okay? I saw a ton of illustration. We could spend weeks, we could spend months looking at the illustrations, the definitions, but I don't think God wants us to. I think God wants us to take these two attacks by apostates and talk about them over the next couple of weeks, okay? Let me give you a brief review. Judas told us what to do. He said that we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was delivered in totality, handed down, not thought up, given to us completely that we call the Scriptures, the Word of God, divine revelation. And Judas told us to tenaciously stay with, hold with God's truth. Regardless of the bent of society, regardless of circumstances that you find yourself in, hold tenaciously to God's truth regardless of anything going on in your life and everything going on in the world. Why, he says? Because false teachers have infiltrated the church perverting truth for their own passions. They reject God's law, God's scriptures. They pervert the very meaning of grace so they can enjoy their degrading passions. Today we begin to talk a little bit about how to do it. In fact, Jude will say, remember, you remember. So everything he tells us, they know. And I'm going to address that in just a moment. Okay, let me give you a... uh, a little thought that's on my heart, okay? You and I live in, a, in an age where people are so caught up in their own thing that they want to come in to God's church and begin to divert God's church from the truth. I don't know if you hook into the news. I, I, I don't know what you read or what you listen to. But I'll tell you something. Yesterday evening, uh, I got a major turnoff in reading about news from a mega church in Houston. I don't know if you saw it, but I want to tell you, I got, I got angry. I got mad. Because what was reported and what was quoted of is that in one of the mega churches, and you would know the name if I called it, the pastor's wife, who is called a co-pastor, which is not biblical anyway, God expects men to pastor the church. Three. They're one lady. (laughs) Just like he expects men to lead their family. 
And so she, she got up and made a statement that worship isn't really about God at all. It's about being happy. That worship is really all about you. You being happy. Nothing about holiness. Nothing about righteousness. It's about you and your happiness. Now, gang, listen to my heart. That's wrong. That's wrong biblically. That's apostasy at its highest. And gang, it's in our churches. This is a major church in our country. And these thousands of people, that flock, are being told that it's not about God at all. It's about them and their feelings and their emotions and their happiness. That's apostasy. Gang, it's not about you. Oh, dear people, it's not about me. It's about God. It's about the glory of God. It's, a, it's about how in grace, God would initiate a relationship and call us to himself and through grace save us. How then can we come and sing to make us feel good when we ought to come to give him glory and to give him praise. Do you understand the tensions that we face as a faith family today? Do you? I'm going to get a little ahead of myself. But one of the challenges is that we really don't want to be challenged. We want to live in our own little cubicle, our own little bubble, our own little world. And we don't want to hear about all the other stuff that's out there. But gang, you've got to hear about all the stuff that's out there. Because it affects your life. And it's going to affect your children's lives. And I can promise you, you gray hairs, it's going to affect your grandchildren's lives. So we better pay attention to the hard things and the hard sayings of Scripture, okay? Well, would you stand with me? I want us to begin reading verse 5. Um, I don't know. We've got to get through 16 sometime before I go. And, and that means we've got to get through verse 25 sometime before I go. Uh, but we're going to go probably through 10 today, okay? Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness 
for judgment on the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them, since they in the same way as these, now notice, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, they are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. That's what we're going to deal with today. Next week, verse 8, yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming, defiling the flesh, rejecting authority, reviling angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against them a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. These men revile the things they don't understand. And the things they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these they are destroyed. Notice the condemnation. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. For pay, they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Well, let's stop there. Thanks. Be seated. Keep, keep your Bible open, okay? Gang, if you've been with me for any length of time, you know that, that I have said to you from time to time that on any given Sunday, I really don't tell you something that you don't already know. Now, I realize there's some times maybe when we may look at a phrase or a construction of grammar or whatever that may be a little different or look at some words that may be a little different. If you're a young Christian, some things I understand may be new, okay? But let me tell you what preachers do. The first thing we try to do is find out where God has us for their fellowship on any given Sunday. That's why preaching through books is the best, okay? God seems to bring into the life of the church what the next section of Scripture and all we do, gang, is we study and we pray. We better study. You'll know it if we don't. We better pray because you're going to know it when we don't. And then we just try to share with you from God's truth things you already know. We want to remind you of things you know. We want to challenge you with things you already know. And we want to drive truth home to you. You see, that's what Jude is doing here. He takes us some pages out of history for his readers. And he's basically saying, I, you know, I'm not really telling you anything you, know, you don't know. You already know this. I just want to remind you. I want to drive truth home to you. And as the, the storm clouds of apostasy begin to roll in, he just uses illustrations to remind them of what apostasy is all about. As I look through these verses, let me tell you two things hit me. 
I think, first of all, Jude deals with the challenge of apostasy through the, the eye of apathy. Now, what I mean by that is the church just being indifferent, the church being lazy, the church being so caught up and busy in their own lives, they just don't want to be messed with. Our subject today is apathy. And I'm not saying it's Indian Springs Baptist Church alone. Maybe we're not quite as bad as another church down the street. Maybe we are. But I want you to know this, that every faith family, especially in this nation of ours, is in danger of indifference, is in danger of apathy, laziness. Things are going okay. Don't bother me with truth. Don't bother me with details. I want to I want to I want to live with a cocoon around me and my family. I just want to be happy. I just want to have enough money to do what I need to do to enjoy life so I can come to church so I can be happy at church. Happy, happy, happy. Don't bug me with the challenges of truth. Because truth confronts you. Truth makes you do something. Truth won't leave you alone. But the church today doesn't want truth. They just want to filter along, paddle along, being happy along until it's time to go to heaven kind of a laissez-faire approach to business. Just leave me alone. Jude's going to tell us today, you can't. And he's going to deal with three, I think, wonderful illustrations of what happens when apathy sets in to a church. Next week, we're going to deal with what I think is the main issue with apostasy. And that is rebellion against authority. Now, again, you'll hear me say next week that when authority breaks down, civilizations begin to die. Primarily, a lack of a a breakdown of authority, lack of authority toward God, obviously. But a lack of authority toward nation, toward family, toward people. And we live in an age where there's an incredible lack of authority. We watch it on TV every day, don't we? And we'll see next week that in this breakdown of authority, Jude's going to give us three illustrations or descriptions as well. And so for the next couple weeks, you know, we're going to talk about the storm. And then after that, we're going to talk about ways to live. What do we do with them? If, if, if apostasy has come and it's going to be um, indicative of the last ages and it's going to be a child, then how is, how is Tom going to deal with it? John, black man in America trying to teach kids truth and God's ways and perhaps a restricted environment. How does an African-American in a nation 
that really doesn't like you that much. I love you, but some don't. How are you going to deal with that, dude? How are you going to shake that out in your life? Is there something from Scripture? If we're going to be slammed with this idea of apostasy, then how is a John? How is a Dustin? How's a Wayne, a Jason? How do you shake it out? Jude's not going to leave us alone with it. He'll help us. And then at the end, we're going to have a great benediction. That may be when we come back, the way things are flying, okay? Anyway, let's deal with apathy this morning, okay? Now, you remember what apathy is? Indifferent. I, I don't care. I don't care what happens down at First Southern. I don't care what happens at Jack Springs. Man, just leave me alone, man. I'm at Indian Springs. We rock and roll, you know? We're the best thing going, you know? So just leave me alone. I'm being facetious, but that's the idea, okay? History teaches us that dangers come and attacks come when people fail to act. When they just kind of sit by wanting their life to be safe in their little world, and all the while intruders are coming in to destroy. Jude shakes his readers and says there's an incredible battle out there. And if we take scripture that's relevant to today, and it is, it's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, right? He'll say to us through the Spirit, hey, there's a battle today. And it's a battle of life and death. For the church, it's the intrusion against holiness and righteousness. For you see, apostasy wants you to accept ungodliness and unrighteousness and make it normal, make it okay. The Apostle Paul, when he was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, said that when he left, wolves would come in, not sparing the flock. He was talking about preachers. Think He wasn't talking about rank and file. He was talking about people like me. He was talking about leaders and preachers and elders and deacons. And they're going to come in not sparing the flock so that their idea of grace would allow them leeways to enjoy their sin, attitudes and actions that would go beyond what is right and proper outside the precepts and the dictates of the Word of God. In Revelation chapter 3, here's what Jesus says to the church at Laodicea. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're just lukewarm. You're apathetic. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Well, how does Jude describe apathy? Look at verse 5 with me. The, the first thing that he talks to us about is uncommitted trust. In verse 5, he uses the story of Exodus. Now, let me tell you, if you read the Exodus account, there's all kinds of stories, all kinds of illustrations. He's not as specific as I wish he would have been. I wish he'd have called me and told me which one he was talking about. He didn't do that for us. But I'll tell you what I do think. I think perhaps in his mind he's thinking about that monumental moment in the life of the nation of Israel at Kadesh Barnea. God had brought them out of captivity. God had brought them out of bondage. Miracle after miracle 
Time after time, God put up with their bickering. He fed them. He watered them. He protected them. It was a demonstration of the sovereignty and the holiness of God. They had to know that God was in control. And they came to this moment at Kadesh Barnea when it was time to cross over and take possession of the promised land. Moses sends out the spies. and They look over the land. They come back with a strange report. The majority report was bad. Great land, big giants, cannot win. Two came back, Caleb and Joshua, said, Great land, we've already won, let's go in and clean it. And yet the majority report swayed the people, which is always seems to be the case. And they decided not to trust God. And a whole generation died in the wilderness. Gang, listen, everybody 20 years up, saving two, died in the wilderness because they did not believe that God's word was true and could be trusted. That's apathy. That's uncommitted trust. That's believing that circumstances and challenges are more powerful than the Word of God. And God's people today, the church of Jesus Christ, the faith family today has to believe that what God says is true. That it's more about God and His glory than it is about me and my comfort. But because they went the way of a lack of trust, they began to systematically die. And it's far more than just a danger today, my friend. It has become a way of life. And Jude tells him, you remember Israel. You contend for the truth. Fight for that which is right and holy and proper. I, uh, I love to read part of it. You can't, you can't be a preacher unless you like to read. I mean, and one of my favorite authors is John Piper. I don't know if you've ever read anything by Piper, but uh, he's a great author. He wrote a book called Risk. Talk about how Christians ought to take risks. We, parents, you ought to grow your babies up and send them to India is the idea. Send them to Africa because following God is worth the risk. That's the idea of the book. In the book, he quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my spiritual heroes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was a guy in Germany who God gave the ability to, to see what was going on with Hitler far before, before anybody else. He began to understand when Hitler began to, 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 to come into the church and dull the senses of the church. Ultimately, Bonhoeffer lost his life. Bonhoeffer was quoted as saying this, Sin is not trying and failing. 
Sin is not trying anything at all. And I like that idea. In other words, what Bonhoeffer said is if you try something, if you do it in faith and in love, and you try it, but it turns out to be a bad decision, or turns out not to work, that's not sinful. Sin is when you don't do squat. I don't think he said that. They're kind of like that. Sin is when you do nothing. Sin is when you sit and become complacent in your little bubble of your world while all around you is falling apart and going to hell. You see, it takes committed trust to believe what God says is true and that God is on the throne and that God is sovereign. And apathy sets in when uncommitted trust prevails. Contend, brother. Contend, sister, for the truth, regardless of circumstances. A second mark of apathy is in verse 6. Look at unbroken pride. Now, let me, you can read verse 6. There's been a lot written about verse 6. My intention is not to dig that out. We would, we'd be here for six more months. Um, it, there's a lot of positions. Let me tell you what I, you can grab from, or at least what I grab from it, okay? These angels, regardless of the position you want to take, these angels did not accept God's design for them, and they were going to pay for it with hell. I tell you, what really hit me is those words, for the judgment of the, that great day. Again, when apathy comes in, we're not content, is what I got. It's not, we're not content to be who we are. You see, when apathy enters, two great things happen. There's this maximization of self. That's kind of what I was alluding to about this church in Houston. Overindulgence in consumption of me. Life is not about the glory of God. Even if that glory requires me to die, life becomes about me and what I want and what I think I deserve. It's a consumer mentality. And so the idea of the kingdom of God begins to shrink. We begin to build our personal empires. Maximization of the self. And minimization of God, which I think, I want to tell you, I told someone last week, I said, I, the thing that disturbs me most about our culture that's been seemingly on this pro process for the last 20, 30 years is the maximization of people and the minimization of God. And I think that's a telltale sign of apathy. We minimize God. We set aside His intent and His purpose. We downplay the truth that it's to be about His glory. When that takes place, the ultimate day of reckoning comes. But we push it away so that we can have the immediate passion of the moment. That's why Jude uses this illustration. And he says, contend for the faith. Keep the ultimate in sight. This week we had two people go home to be with the Lord. And I want to tell you something. They're a whole lot better off than we are. I mean, I'm not ready to jump on the wagon yet. But I want to tell you, when they get up there, they don't want to come back down here. Why would you? Where would you rather be? See? But somehow when apathy sits in, 
We give all of our efforts and attention and our affections to that which is now, and we set aside that which is yet to come. Listen, there's more to this life than this life, gang. There's, this life is a blink compared to eternity. The third thing, and this is the thing I think that's hardest for us to deal with, is in verse 7. But it's a sure sign of apathy in the church, and that's unbridled passion. And so hang with me. Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged, notice gross immorality, went after, I'm going to deal with strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Listen, gang, never before in our nation have we seen the spread of perversion through a country like we're seeing right now. I said in our first service, I'll say it's be prime, one of the main reasons is we have a president who has a perverted sense of right and wrong. They can take away our tax-exempt status, let them have it. But when you have a president who does not follow the precepts of the Word of God, your nation is in trouble. We've got to root it out. The only way we can do that is vote it out, vote him out, you see. Never before has there been this kind of speed. Their goal is to make this perversion normal. And those who stand against it as abnormal, intolerant, and they'll throw out that term homophobic. I mentioned to you that apostates have just enough knowledge to be dangerous. And so what they do is they take a few little scriptures outside of the context of it. They twist it, pervert them to give support of their own perversion. Satan tried to do that, didn't he, when he attacked Jesus in the wilderness, you know? And so what will happen is the apostates will take the Genesis 19 account here and twist it. They'll take Romans chapter 1. I don't know how in the world they do that, but they take Romans chapter 1 and twist it. They take 1 Corinthians 6 and, 6 and 1 Timothy 1 and they pervert it, twist it to fit their depraved minds. And in the process, because it's a war of war words, it's an education Thing, they'll make you feel guilty because you're so mean. Because you stand for something that God stands for. So you're mean. You're intolerant. And that's where apathy takes hold of a church and begins to destroy the church. I want to take a couple of phrases there in verse 7. The, the, the word gross immorality is one word. And we get the English word pornography from it. Of course, when we use the word pornography, immediately images come to mind. This word is a very strong word, however, in Scripture. It's more than images. It deals with, with everything that is perverse. It's wholly, utterly given over to perversion. That's what this word means. And that's who they are. That's how they justify what they do. The main word, though, that I want to deal with you, and you may want to, if you're a Bible scribbler, you may want to circle those words strange flesh. Flesh is just the word sarke, which is normal flesh. But the word strange is a very important word. Okay? Literally, it is the word other, O-T-H-E-R, or another. Okay? 
And so what Jude is saying is they go after other flesh. Now, let me give you a grammar lesson. In the New Testament, there's two words for other or another, okay? There is one word which means other of the same young people, other of the same kind, or other of the same nature. In John chapter 14, Jesus used the word other to talk about the Holy Spirit. He says, it's important for me to go away because I'm going to go away and I'm going to send another like me who's talking about the blessed Holy Spirit. And the word other he used there was a word other of a same kind or same nature, okay? So basically what Jesus was saying is, I'm going to leave. I'm sending someone just like me, someone cut from the same mold, someone with the same nature. When Jude writes it here, he uses the other word, other that is not natural, okay? And let's be real clear. What Jude is saying, listen, that, that agenda that seems to be coming into the church to change in the mindset of this, they can twist Scripture all they want. All they do is twist Scripture. They don't twist truth, okay? But I want to tell you, they have no answer for this. That's why this is important. That's why I wanted to feast on this. This word other means something that's not natural. Gang, listen to me. Homosexuality is not natural. Homosexuality is against nature. It's against the norm. And don't you let anybody tell you differently. And don't you let anybody tell your children differently. Gang, young people, listen to me. Homosexuality is against God's design. It's against God's nature. It's strange flesh. It's going after unnatural flesh. Uh, now, gang, listen. And, and notice, too, look, look, look at the end of verse 7. They are exhibited. you know what that word exhibited means? It means to set before the eyes. Homosexuals are examples is what he says. They're, they're before the eyes as an example of those who are going to spend eternity in hell separated from God in eternal fire. I didn't say that. The Word of God says that, people. It's not right. It's not natural. And there's repercussions for this kind of a lifestyle. It's called eternity separated from God in a devil's hell. You see. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. Because I don't want you to go out of here and me misconstrue anything to you, okay? You and I, as a faith family, we must stand for truth today. But these who are caught up in this perversion are dear people with souls. They're going to spend eternity separated from God in hell unless perchance somehow they see and hear the blessed gospel of the Lord Jesus spoken by, lived by Christians. Now again, we're not the judge. God alone judges. 
And so while we must figure out how to stand for holiness and righteousness and not just stand for some feel-good emotional zing, we still have to somehow love the homosexuals while standing against homosexuality. I'm not saying that's easy. In fact, I think it's incredibly difficult. And I think it's going to become increasingly more difficult. But we've got to stand nonetheless. And we have to stand in truth. And I understand the speed of this thing is just making it difficult. But Jude said, stand. The Word of God testifies that we are to tenaciously grab that which is truthful and holy and righteous. That doesn't mean we condemn people. It means we're gospel-driven people, people of truth. I think you can stand against homosexuality at the same time have a concern and care for homosexuals. They just don't know God's truth. They should see it in our lives, you see. And I think it's a wrestle until death. And I think the church has to not allow that to drive us from that which is truthful. We have to shake ourselves of the apathy and the indifference that seems to have set in in so many churches. Gang, you can't walk the middle of the road. Listen to me. You cannot walk the middle of the road. Get out there and interstate, walk down the middle and see what happens. You're going to get hit on both sides, right? We, can't, we just can't do that. We can't do that today. See, this is, a, this is a battle for life and death. Jesus told the church at Sardis, wake up, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what's about to die. Strengthen what's left. Faith must win over fear. Courage must drive us over contendedness. Discipline must rule over unnatural desires. And we as a church must be willing to live or die on that. I mentioned we were going to stop it there at 7, but eight, eight in, in verse 8 and 10, you'll notice he says, these men, verse 10, these men. He's talking about the apostates that have infiltrated into churches. And basically he says, these men are just dreamers. What he means by that is they're outside of reality. They, uh, they don't live understanding the times. They have this dream that they want to live by. They're just dreamers is what Jude says. They're dreamers that defile the flesh. They're dreamers that reject authority. They revile angelic majesties. They revile what they don't understand. And he says they just live by instincts like animals. In other words, animals do what they do without conviction because they don't have that conviction like we as humans are to have. Then he says they're destroyed. They're destroyed. I guess my question for us today is why would you give yourself to something that ultimately destroys you? Why would you do that? And yet it's happening all through the church. 
<laughs> Don't bug me, Tom, with that. You know, you preach too hard. I don't think I preach hard enough at times. I understand I preach a little long. But, but this is a battle for truth. Sometimes, I don't know this is probably wrong, but sometimes I feel like I fight harder for families than the moms and dads do. I fight harder for their children than they do. They just want to have life and enjoy life. They just want to have parties. Nobody likes tensions. Oh, gosh. Nobody likes tensions. Anyway, that's, that's all I got. Um, let's pray and go home. I love you guys. Father, I love our faith family. Today, love them. Let them know you love them. Don't let them stay the same. God, don't let us stay the same. Not today, not here, not now. In Jesus' name.